How's everyone doing this morning? Hope you're doing well. If you have your Bibles, would you please open to Psalm 101? Psalm 101. Really enjoyed this psalm, and I've um, enjoyed the time that um, you know people have come up and uh, chosen a song, uh, a psalm that uh, God has laid upon their heart, and uh, and shared that, and it's been a blessing. So I appreciate everyone that's been able to do that. You can tell um, with my Bible, I, I really got into this psalm. It was good. It was really good for me. So let's open with prayer, and we'll begin. Dear Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful for this day. And we're thankful for your word. Your word, Lord, is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. Lord, how can a young man keep his way pure, it says, by living according to thy word. It says in Psalm 119, Oh, how I love your law, and I meditate on it all day long. Lord, we just so, we're so thankful for this, uh, this playbook for life. Uh, a life journal of how to live your life. And we're just thankful for the Holy Spirit that you've given to us that just helps us to become more like Christ in our daily life. Lord, I pray that you'd help us all to be the Bible in shoes, that people would read our lives and they would see the Scripture. Lord, help us to live that out. We pray for just open hearts and minds, and Lord, would you teach me as well. Teach me, Lord, to help me to become more like Jesus, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Really thankful for the beginning of a school year. Uh, <clears throat> sometimes in college, uh, the very first uh, course that you take is uh, a course called 101. And so today we're going to take a look at Psalm 101. And I, and I want to entitle this, Following God's Example for Leadership. Now we read books on leadership we uh, memorize quotes. We take classes on leadership. But this is a really interesting... Should I do it like this? There we go. How about that? Is that okay? All right, thanks. It's always good to take a look at what God has to say about leadership. Now, I just want to set the stage before we get going on this too much. So what is happening is that we have taken a look at some different types of psalms. We've looked at psalms of praise and thanksgiving. That was one of mine that I did was Psalm 8. And the, verse, the uh, psalm that you read, 150 today, was a psalm of praise. It expresses God's glory. We've taken a look at penitential type psalms where they characterize sorrow and repentance. And so David talked about that last week in Psalm 32. We see that in Psalm 51. We hear that um, when we says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. That's Psalm 51. That's a psalm of sorrow and repentance. We've, we've taken a look at psalms of wisdom, like Psalm 1 or Psalm 119. And those are psalms that are instructive. We've taken a look in one of the psalms that I did was Psalm 55. Remember, praising the Lord. Psalm 55, 22. Cast all your, your cares upon Him. Those are psalms of lament. Psalms of lament are prayers for divine deliverance. And when facing any kind of despair, you have imprecatory psalms where 
Those are like Psalm 7 and Psalm 35. And they're psalms that invokes, you know, God's wrath and judgment on, against enemies. And we've heard some psalms um, that have been preached on that as well. We have messianic psalms like Psalm 2 and Psalm 16 and Psalm 22 that describe some aspect of the Messiah's person or ministry. And then we have a psalm that I'm going to talk about today. It's called a royal psalm. Psalms like 10 or Psalms like Psalm 101. The focus is on the king as the son of David and God's chosen man to rule his people. So Psalm 101 is a psalm that's like that. So here I want to set the stage a little bit, and I want you to think of it. So the whole title is about leadership. So the first verse talks about God and some important foundational principles about God's leadership, things that David wants to incorporate in his rule, his his, uh, reign. Then in verses 2 and 3, we talk about David's, David's personal commitment to rule in a way that's godly, to follow God's example. And then in verses 4 through 8, it's talking about how, God, how David wants to incorporate those principles throughout not only his palace, but also the land. So do you see how that sort of works out? Now, one other thing that I wanted to mention to help you remember this um, maybe to put this in your mind to give you some sort of like association piece to think about. When I was in Honduras, I learned how to milk a cow, right? I'd never milked a cow before. And so I, I would I call that milking 101. So I'm just learning how to do this. Like David's learning what are the right ways to lead. And I, I sat on this three-legged stool. And I wasn't very good at first, but I got a lot better. And I have a lot of empathy for farmers and anybody that's milked cows. When they tell me like they've milked like 10 cows or 20 cows, I milked two cows. And I'll tell you, after 20 minutes, my arms would burn. And at first, I wasn't milking very well. I mean, not much was coming out. Then you just sort of get a, a hand. And once it's like riding a bike, but I'll tell you what, it's still painful after a while. But the reason I mentioned that is I was thinking about when I was talking about uh, this with my mother-in-law yesterday. I was talking to, telling her about the sermon. I was saying that there are three main points in, in godly leadership that is talked about here. One, it talks about God's love. Okay, So that's one of the, the legs on that stool is God's love. Now sometimes, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit more, it's, it's elaborated like in Psalm 89, 14. It says God's unfailing love. Or God's steadfast love. And we're going to talk about that. But that's important in leadership is that type of love. Then it talks about justice. God's justice. Now in other types, even like, in, like I mentioned Psalm 89, 14, it talks about a specific type of justice. It elaborates that a little bit more and it says God's righteous justice. God's unfailing love. God's righteous justice. And then the third part of that leg that I want to mention is, you see this in Micah 6.8, where it talks about how to, says to, how to walk, to walk with justice and mercy and humility. Humility, so that's the third leg of that stool. So the title of this sermon 
It's called Follow God's Example for Leadership. Alex Haley, the author of Roots, has a picture in his office. I actually looked it up on the internet to see what that picture looked like. And it's there. It says, shows a turtle sitting on top of a fence post. The picture is there to remind him of a lesson he learned long ago. If you see a turtle on a fence post, I don't know if you've ever done that before. I used to do that. If you ever see a turtle on it, but I, I took it down afterwards. If you see a turtle on a fence post, you know it had some help. Alex says, anytime I start thinking, whoa, isn't that marvelous what I've done? I, I look at that picture and I remember how this turtle, me, got on that fence post. It needed a, a lot of help. Yeah. The main theme of Psalm 101 describes King David's pledge. So he's, this is, he, he wants to, he's thinking about his kingdom. And he's using God as an example for his leadership style. And the main theme of Psalm 101 describes King David's pledge to pattern his reign after God's way of leadership. Spurgeon mentions in his commentary on Psalm 101, they call it the householder's psalm. It is as assuredly as every master of a family, business, or organization would regulate his household by these rules of a conscientious psalmist. David understands that he is the turtle on the fence post, that God is the one who's chosen his reign, and that David wants to rule the right way by following God's plan. King David resolves to reign righteously following the pattern of God's foundation of righteous rule. David is a man after God's own heart. And this psalm is a charter by which King David is committing to rule under God's guidance. In verse 1, let's read that. David says, I will sing of your, lo- of your love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praise. In verse 1, we see David's upward praise to God, who has set him up on the throne. And in verses 2 and 3, we see David's inward resolve to live a life of uprightness, which we're going to get to. (coughs) And in verses 4 through 8, we find an outward motivation to surround himself with people of integrity. In other words, sometimes when we say this, there was a, a guy that was a superintendent of our school one time, And he said, we need to get the right people on the bus. So that's sort of a colloquialism of David saying. He wants to get the right people in his his kingdom to reign with him. So verse 1, many of us are leaders in one way or another in our homes, our jobs, or other organizations. King David desires to pattern his personal and his public life after God's righteous leadership. There are two chief qualities of God's divine rule. Love and justice. In some places in Scripture, and I think I'd like to turn there, you can see this, Psalm 89. You want to turn there, Psalm 89, verse 14. And it's not only here, it's in many places in the Bible. It talks about this. Psalm 89, verse 14. It says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. That's how God rules. It's righteous justice, and it's faithful love. And we sing about that. We sing about that today. Great is thy faithfulness. And then we bank on that as a promise. 
In Isaiah 16.5, it also expands on this, these two important qualities by speaking of God's faithful love and righteous justice. David celebrates by singing about these two important qualities in leadership. The Hebrew word used for love here is hesed. We've used that word. We've talked about that a lot. Hesed literally means loyal love. It, it is used to express God's loyalty and devotion in, to solemn promises and covenants. God is faithful. If he says he'll do it, it will happen. That's the kind of love he's talking about. And when we talk about hesed love, it refers to steadfast or unfailing love. We see that in Psalm 51.1 and in and Psalm 105 where it says, The Lord is good and his love endures forever. It's faithful forever. His faithfulness continues to all generations. The other divine leadership quality that David praises God for is justice. His righteous rule. You see that word in 1 Kings 3.11 when Solomon requests for this gift of wise discernment. You also see the same word in 1 Kings 3.28 when he talks, remember about the, the question about the baby of whose it was and for, for discernment. It says so in, Psalm, or in 1 Kings 3.28 refers to the unique wisdom in the situation of, the, of a disputed infant. Righteous justice, that's the word is used. That's sort of an idea to remember. David was a musician, and he's expressing his joy in singing praises to God. The Hebrew word, interesting enough, is zamar, and it's, it's for singing. It occurs 45 times in the Old Testament, and its consistent meaning is always singing praises to God. So David this has a heart, he has, he's a musician, he's singing to God, and he's singing to God for his faithful love, his steadfast love, and his righteous justice. So that's the first thing I see when we talk about leadership. Leadership, whether in a home or in a business or whatever, we have to have, okay, this is the characteristics of good leadership. And so David sees that, and he's singing to God and praising God for that. So now we get serious. Verse 2. Now it becomes like me. How does this affect me? What's the application for me? Here's what it says in verse 2. David is making a commitment to rule the kingdom according to the way God would want him to do, according to God's principles. He says, I will be careful to lead a blameless life. When will you come to me? I will walk in my house with a blameless heart, I will set before my eyes no vile thing. So he's getting really real about himself. Beginning in verse 2, we see a change of focus. The focus is from God to David himself. David is resolving to follow God's ways. David knows that to lead by example, he must focus on his own personal integrity. A leader needs to get his own house in order first. Remember John Belcher, he'd, we'd kid each other every once in a while. He'd always say, hey, Joe, is your house in order? He was a principal a while back. and I'd say, yeah, it's, it's in order. How are you doing with yours? He goes, I'm good, I'm good. But that's important. Do you get your house in order. In Psalm 25, verses 4 and 5, David prays to God, 
Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you're God my Savior. And my hope is in you all day long. David is a man after God's own heart. And he wants to know God's heart. And then he wants to live by it. David understands that God's favor will rest on those who are obedient to his commands. When we, when we are willing to seek God, learn from his word, obey his commands... We receive his favor. Our God is not an unpredictable deity who asks us to speculate on how to live. One of the most memorable statements in the Old Testament defines a proper relationship with God. If you don't have this memorized, you should memorize this verse. Micah 6.8 He has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to act justly, right? Righteous justice. To love mercy, right? Unfailing love. And to walk humbly with your God. David sings of God's love and justice in verse 1. Micah addresses that third quality by having a proper relationship with God. To walk humbly. It's important to clearly understand that God is sovereign. And in whatever position he has placed you. And in humility we thank God for his grace, his provision, and his guidance. It is all... It is about this time that I reflect again on that turtle that's on that post. And I think about pride. As I, go, as I grow in Christ, the words of Henry Ironside resonate more profoundly in me than ever before. God is looking for broken men who have judged themselves in the light of the cross of Christ. When he wants anything done, he takes up men who have come to an end of themselves whose confidence is in not in themselves, but is in God alone. Notice in verse 2, David says, When will you come to me? David is yearning for God's presence. One of the, one of the prayers that John Stott would always pray, would always begin like this, Oh, Heavenly Father, may I always live in your presence, and may I please you more and more. That should be our prayer too. David longs for God's guidance and direction. David knows that the safest place to be is in living in God's presence. The most secure place for sheep to be is next to a shepherd. The safest place for the Christian is to stay close to the chief shepherd, Jesus. The safest place for a king is under the guidance of Almighty God, and David recognizes that. In a sense... My quest has come to an end. I have discovered that Jesus Christ is enough. He is all I need. He is my Savior, my Sanctifier, my Healer, and my coming King. He tells us to come to Him and to learn from Him. Victory comes by ceasing to, not live, my, to, live, to, ceasing to live my own life and letting the power of God, God, God's work in me to will and to do His good pleasure. Am I learning to live a life of another? I hope so, because that person is Jesus within me. By committing to living a sanctified life and following after the Lord. So in verses 2 and 4, David commits to walk in his house with a blameless heart. In verse 4, David pledges to keep men of perverse heart far from him. This is really important. He says, I want to talk about this heart idea for a moment. In the Old Testament... In that understanding, a person follows the dictate of their heart, the innermost being. 
the, in biblical language, the heart was the center of a person's human spirit from which spring emotions and thoughts, motivations, courage, and actions. In Proverbs 4.23, it says, above all else, guard your heart, for from it flows the springs of life. If we store up good things in our heart, our words and actions will be good. Jesus addresses this matter of the heart with the Pharisees in Matthew 12.34. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Indeed, we work hard to keep our outward appearance attractive. But what is in our heart is so much more important. The way we, the way we are deep down in our hearts is so much more precious to God. What are you like on the inside? When people become Christians, God makes them different on the inside. And he will continue to change us from the inside out as we seek him. Die to ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Christ. God wants us to seek healthy thoughts and motives, not just healthy food and exercise. David focuses on having a blameless heart to rule, one filled with God's unfailing love and righteous justice. So in verse 3, I want to talk about this a little bit. It says, and I will set before my eyes no vile thing. David says that he will resolve not to set before his eyes any vile thing. As a ruler, he's an example, right? And he wants to live as an example for God. The eyes are the windows of the, of the soul. And the external vice of this world can, can, can corrupt the internal sanctuary of the soul. Job says in, in Job 31.1, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. Spurgeon says, sin may enter a heart and fight for dominion, but it can never sit upon the throne. And I'd like to talk about this word vile for a second. Remember, David desires to enjoy God's blessing in his reign. He wants to have purity in himself, in his palace, and is in his kingdom. So the Hebrew word Belial in the Old is in the, found in the Old Testament. It is a noun that means this. It means wicked it mean, or lawlessness. It occurs 30 times and it refers to anything that's wicked. Anything that's lawless or worthless. It's translated in Deuteronomy 13.13 13 as wicked men. It's translated in 1 Samuel 10.27 as a troublemaker. In 1 Kings 2, or 21, 10, uh, it, and 13, it, it's translated as scoundrel. In Job 34, 18, the word is translated as worthless. It's not a good thing. But Paul uses it this way. Paul uses this Hebrew word, and it's not translated. He uses the word belial. In 2 Corinthians six fifteen, Paul uses this word belial, meaning wicked, or lawless for Satan, who is the personification of wickedness and lawlessness. Think about this for a second. As a disciple of Christ, we must resolve to follow hard after God. Here's what he's saying here. I will set in my kingdom, as I rule, I will set before my eyes no belial before me. 
No wicked or lawless or worthless thing before me. What does he want to set before him? For me, Paul answers that question. I will fix my eyes on Christ, who is the author and perfecter of my faith. How could we ever put the adversary in front of our eyes to corrupt our hearts if we truly want to follow God and have a blameless heart? David wants to have a blameless heart as he rules for God on earth. In verse 4, now we get even um, more real. So in verse 1, we're talking about this is God's, these are God's characteristics for righteous rule. Okay? Then David is focusing on himself. I commit, I pledge in my home, in my business, this is how I will rule. I want to be careful to lead a blameless life. I will, I, want, I will walk in the house with a blameless heart. I will set before my eyes no vile thing. But now we go to the next step. The people that surround you. So in verses 4 through 8, I'd like to read these again. Now think about this. I'll start it. It starts actually um, verse 3, the second part of that verse. The deeds of faithful men I hate. They will not cling to me. I'm not going to let, I've committed to this. The people around me, they will not cling to me. Those people that are faithful. Men of perverse hearts shall be far from me. I will have nothing to do with evil. Do you see what he's doing? Now he's looking at the people that are surrounding him. Whoever slanders his neighbors in secret, will, him will I put to silence. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, him I will not endure. My eyes will be on the faithful in the land, and, they will, that, and that they may dwell with me. He whose walk is blameless will minister to me. Those people will minister to me. No one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. Every morning I will put to silence all the wicked in the land. I will cut off every evildoer from the city of the Lord. Like to talk, oh, <clears throat> verse 4, David pledges to remove anything that's profane, perverse, or evil from the presence of his government and his personal life. Our public life and our private life should honor God. David understands that bad company corrupts good morals. That's actually in 1 Corinthians. It says that. He knows that a little leaven can quickly permeate through the whole lump of dough. How can a young man keep himself pure, says Psalm 119, verse 9, by living according to thy word. Solomon writes in Proverbs, the, the man of integrity walks securely, but he who takes crooked paths will be found out, Proverbs 10, 9. Proverbs again, 13.20, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. It is so important to choose our friends wisely. In this pledge, David shows that he hates perversity and delights in those who are blameless. This is an important resolution for all of us to consider. This is a pledge a charter, a determination by which King David is choosing to rule under God's guidance. The root meaning for the Hebrew word for perversion is an interesting word too. You can tell I was just really getting into this psalm. It means crooked. 
or twisted. And we might even say in English, that criminal has a twisted mind. Or we might say that that young man is living on a straight and narrow path. Proverb highlights this idea of straight and blameless in chapters three, chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 in Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. We should, never be, we, should ever, we should ever be mindful to serve him with a committed and undivided heart. And God will walk with us on a straight pathway. An interesting observation is found in verse 4 and verse 7. Notice in verse 4, it talks about, Man of a first heart shall be far from me. But then in verse 7, it says, No one will who practices deceit, will dwell in my house. We need to guard against a perverse heart because that can lead to a deceitful tongue. What's in your heart, that's what we need to be careful about. And Jesus talked about it as well when he talked to the Pharisees about what comes out of the mouth, right, versus what goes in. That doesn't make you unclean, but what comes out of the mouth because if you have things that are evil and wrong, in your heart, well, then you better be careful about what comes out the fruit of your mouth, right? The root is in the heart. The fruit is what comes out. The heart is the root and the deceitful tongue is the fruit. Put it that way. Jesus also says in Matthew 15, verses 18 and 19, but the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart and these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. These are what make a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. The seeds of our thought life are so critical to what is produced in the way we live out our lives. Remember that thoughts... I heard this a long, long time ago. I've never forgotten this because it's true. And so I've always tried to be careful this way. That Remember, thoughts lead to actions. Actions lead to habits. Now it's sort of internalized more. Habits lead to attitudes. Attitudes leads to your character. And character leads to your destiny, where you're going. There's a raging battle within each person that must be won. There must come a point within every soul about one's ultimate destiny. Oswald Chambers writes, Have I made a decision about sin, that it must be killed right in me? Sin must die out in me. It must not be curbed, suppressed, or counteracted. It must be crucified. And that's exactly what David's saying. I resolve. I charter right here. Make a charter. I've made a decision right now that I will not have unrighteousness in my kingdom. I must be, surrender my life to Jesus. It is not my will but his. My thoughts should be his thoughts. My ways should be his thoughts. My heart should break for what breaks his heart. My heart should delight in what, breaks, what delights God's heart. There are four little words that I remember. When I come to a situation, it's like, you know, this is testing. It's like, not I but Christ. Four little words. Not I. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. 
What does Jesus want? What would Jesus do in this situation? Remember, it was at the cross that a glorious victory was won. The penalty of sin was paid for right then. But the power of sin was broken. We heard that many times from Pastor Gary. I've never forgotten that. I mean, that's one thing that I always remember. He said that more than once in his sermons. The penalty of sin was paid for. And the power of sin was broken. And one day we'll be away from the very presence of sin. That's what he would say too. And that would be the, the time when we have a glorified body and we're in the presence of our Lord. Yeah, there's a battle that's going on. But whom, who do I choose? I choose Christ. In verse 5, David continues to pledge not to allow those who are prideful or slanderous to be around him or in any part of his rule. Not only will he not allow it, he says he'll remove it. He says that he will put it to silence. He says he will not endure it. You can tell David is serious. He is not messing around. In verse 8, he repeats it and says that he will put it to silence. And you can probably guess what that means. He will not tolerate it. And you may ask why. God opposes the pride. Opposes pride. In Isaiah 10, 12, it says, I will punish the king of Assyria for the willful pride in his heart and his haughty look in his eyes. Jeremiah says, Behold, I am against you, O arrogant one, declares the Lord of hosts. For your day has come in the time when I punish you. Jeremiah 50, verse 31. Nebuchadnezzar learned the hard way. And he finally said, Now Nebuchadnezzar, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and honor the King of heaven. For all his works are true and his ways are just. And he is able to humble those who walk in pride. So those three parts of the stool, I mean, they're sticking in my head. Sitting on that cow, uh, sitting on that stool, milking that cow, and I'm thinking about God's unfailing love, His righteous justice, and I better not have pride in my heart. Humility is what God desires. God also despises slander. This particular word is used two times in two verses in the Old Testament, in Psalm 101.5 and in Proverbs 30.10, and it literally means to speak evil. David is not going to have anybody in his, in his, his reign, in his government, that speaks evil, that slanders. In ver- Psalm, uh, Proverbs 31.10, it says, Do not slander a servant to his master, or he will curse you, and you will pay for it. James 3 devotes a third of the chapter to the power of the tongue. We need to be careful with the words we choose to speak. James says that we should not only control our tongues, but also our thoughts. The mouth is, after all, connected to your mind. If you want to write something down, this is the one thing I wrote down, and I highlighted in red, and it's not for you, it's for me. (laughs) To rule your tongue, let Christ rule your mind. To rule your tongue, let Christ rule your mind. To rule your tongue, let Christ rule your mind. And how many times does it talk about in the New Testament to have the mind of Christ? To rule your tongue, let Christ rule your mind. In verse 6, David understands the importance that leaders must surround themselves with people of integrity. 
people that he can trust and confide in. From the highest ranking official to the lowest menial servant, David is pledging to not only remove the dishonest and disgraceful, but to select people who are faithful and blameless. Those who maintain moral integrity. Football coach Lou Holtz, uh, I've heard him speak before, and anyways, I actually have these quotes on my, in my office, but it says he would ask all those he hired and players he recruited three questions, and he gave three expectations. First question is, can I trust you? Second question, are you committed? And third question, do you love others? There are three expectations that he would say. Do right. Always do your best. And do right to other people. Do what's right. David prays that God will help him to live a life of unmarred moral rectitude, even as God is good and upright. I have this in highlighted in red too. Not for you, but for me. David, this is the whole, if you want to summarize this whole chapter, this is what David desires to pattern his life after God's goodness and uprightness to please him more and more. He wants to live in his presence. He wants to please him. David desires to pattern his life after God's goodness and righteousness. David would rather die right than live wrong. And he was going to make sure that those who minister to him would be people of integrity. David wanted to experience God's favor. And he, you know, he lived before Nebuchadnezzar. But you could see, Nebuchadnezzar did not receive God's favor when he wasn't trusting God, when he was doing his own thing. You saw what happened to him. And what happened to his mind? He was out there eating in the field like an animal, right? Now verse 7. David will not tolerate any wrongdoing. He will take a stand for God's ways. He will reject anyone who practices deceit in his house or bears false witness in his presence. He is a man after God's own heart. David is God's representative here on earth. Verse 8. Here again, David pledges to diligently and persistently remove the wicked from the Lord's kingdom. Now, this is interesting here, too. David's not going to tolerate, he talks about, no, he's not going to tolerate slander, pride, deceit, or lies. Every morning, David says that he'll put to silence all the wicked in the land. Not just is he keeping himself accountable, not just people in his palace, but in his total kingdom, he says. Notice he indicates that he would purge the wicked throughout the nation, not just from his palace. There is also some idea of promptness and zeal in which David will judge in righteousness. He wants to rule as God would rule. He wants to rule with mercy when mercy is needed. With love and commitment. Unfailing love, righteous justice, and in humility. The three legs. So how do we apply this to our lives? First, I see that there's there's an upward application. Okay? I remember the turtle on the fence post. 
you know you need some help. God is the one he can help. And God's there to help. Never let pride raise its ugly head in your mind. Take every thought captive in obedience to Christ, Paul says. Micah 6.8 talks about leadership. Unfailing love, righteous justice, and humility. Servant leadership, I've found, is the most effective type of leadership. So there's that upward call. Then there's that inward call that asks about reflection in your own heart. And I I remember the first time I read this, it was for a, a Sunday school class. But I thought it would be very appropriate now. Because there's a battle that rages inside even today. All right? Yes, the opposing side has lost. That's what um, Oswald Chambers would say. Satan's lost. I mean, the battle's been won. But this is what Oswald Chambers, how he said, but there's guerrilla warfare still going on. There's still attacks that are happening. We claim the victory in Christ, but those fiery darts keep coming out of nowhere. So when I heard this story, I thought, you know, this is appropriate for right now. It says, an old Cherokee was teaching his grandson about life. A fight is going on inside me, he said to the little boy. It's a terrible fight between two wolves. One is evil. No vile thing, right? We talked about that. One is evil. He is anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride. Superiority and ego, he continued. The other is good. He is joy and peace and love and hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The same fight is going on you, son, and inside every other person that's here, too, and every other person, too. The grandson thought about this for a minute, and then he asked his grandfather a question. Which wolf will win? The old Cherokee simply replied, the one you feed. There's a book. If you haven't read this book, it's a great book. It's called The Pursuit of God. The first chapter, you can tell I marked up all of this book too. It's called Following Hard After God. And it's, uh, I would encourage you if you don't have, if you have this book, uh, I have an extra copy in my house if you need one. I'll be glad to give it to anybody that wants it. Uh, but uh, this is called The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. The first chapter is called Following Hard After God. And it's in reference to Psalm 63 verse 8. And in some versions, like in the, I think it's the King James Version, it's, it's, it says in my version, NIV, like, cling to him. In others, it says to follow hard after God. And I, I just like the way he addresses this. He says, <clears throat> God opens our heart and our mind, right, to be able to come to him. It says, the impulse to pursue God originates with God. But the outworking of that impulse is our following hard after him. When I read Psalm 101, David has made a serious commitment 
He is saying, I care. I will be careful to lead a blameless life. I will walk in my, in my house with a blameless heart. I will set no vile thing. He's following hard after God. He's making a conscious decision to say, you know what? I'm not going to play games at the foot of the cross. You know, people, I've heard people talk about that, like the Roman soldiers are playing dice, and they were, you know, they were playing at the foot of the cross. You know, the cross is a serious thing. I mean, we're talking about that in communion today. When you, when you say, when Jesus says, you know, to, to lay down, to take up your cross and to follow him, you're identifying with him, and it's a serious walk. It's not about something you wear about around your neck. It's called, it's, Tozer puts it this way, following hard after God. David puts it this way. I'm not going to set anything before me that's vile. I'm going to follow God. So my question to you is this. What wolf are you feeding? Because if you're feeding the wolf that's anger and envy and sorrow and regret and greed and arrogance and so on, there's, there's a battle. There's a battle. But if you're feeding the wolf, that is love and joy and peace and hope. You fix your eyes on Christ. It's not I who live, but Christ lives in me. You can, he, he helps you. He carries the yoke. He walks with you through it and those battles. So there's the upward and then there's the inward and then there's the outward focus too. Because there's a call. There's two things that I've really been impressed with these um, studies that I've been going through recently. There, there's this, this great commission, which is important. I mean, it's God's commission for us to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. It's important. It's a commandment. But we can't forget about the great commandment either. The great commission and the great commandment. To love God entirely. Body, soul, mind, strength. And what's the second part of that? To love others as you love yourself. So, the great commission, yes. The great commandment, yes. It's both. That we should love God entirely and that we should, we should, we should put faithful practice to our words in loving others. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for the lesson of Psalm 101. The lesson of how you reign. You reign in righteous justice, unfailing love, and that we're to walk in humility. Lord, I pray that you would help us to follow hard after you. As it says in Psalm 63, verse 1, it says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts after you. My body longs after you. Like, a dry, like in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Help us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Help us to fix our eyes on Christ. Help us to live solely for him. That is our desire. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.